Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Two Cups of Tea, the podcast where I get to hear the life story of an amazing character in their golden years. We've been away for the summer and then a fair old chunk of the autumn, but the important thing is that we're back and with a very special show indeed. This edition features the arrival of a new member of the Two Cups of Tea family. Star of Torchwood, Magic FM and BBC Radio Wales, it's Mr Tom Price, who will take you on the occasional interview as we join forces and try to bring you even more fascinating life stories from around the UK. Today's show is brought to you in association with this week's most eagerly anticipated book release. It's the third book in the World According to Grandpa series, and it's the perfect thing to give your kids this Christmas. Why Do the Seasons Change is a hilarious and fascinating picture book featuring the fibtastic grandpa, the one man who can never be counted on to give you a straight answer. In this story, Stanley's little sister Connie wants to know why the seasons change, so grandpa spins another 100% untrue tale featuring rhubarb-loving monsters, raining frogs, hollowed-out planets and piddling puppies. It's written by Chris Heath and beautifully illustrated by Adam McLean. Available exclusively on Amazon today, November 15th. Search for Why Do the Seasons Change? Now, in today's show, Tom appeared live at the National Conference of the Campaign to End Loneliness and he enjoyed a nice sit-down and a cup of tea with somebody very special. I won't ruin it. Just take it away, Tom. Hello and welcome. This is an unusual live edition of the Two Cups of Tea podcast coming to you from the British Library uh, at the National Conference of the Campaign to End Loneliness. Uh, my name is Tom Price and my job today, very simple one, we put the kettle on, we press the record button and we get to listen to another compelling life story from an ever so slightly older legend. And as a podcast, ever so slightly, ever so slightly. As a podcast, Two Cups of Tea uh, is all about subtly raising awareness of the loneliness that exists for a large number of older people today. In each episode, you'll hear the life story of a different amazing member of the public. Uh, these definitely are not gloomy conversations about solitude. Uh, instead, they are a celebration of incredible characters and the rich, full lives they've lived. Now, unlike Jonathan Ross or Graham Norton, normally on the podcast, you won't have heard of the guests. But today, on this special edition, you possibly will have... Oh, that was a good timing for the phone call there. Um, so on the podcast today, we are really, really thrilled to welcome the wonderful Janet Street Porter, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, Janet, the format of Two Cups of Tea has always been harking right back to uh, my guests' very beginnings in life. Mm -hmm. 
So, where and when did life start for you, please? My first um, memories as a child are uh, being in a pushchair, uh, being wheeled through um, Fulham, which was a very working class part of London back in those days. So that must have been, I was born at the end of 1946, so it'd be the end of the 1940s and early 50s. I was in this pushchair and my mother wheeled me to somewhere that had a kind of porthole and I didn't know about television then and I sat and looked at this thing for an hour and washing went round. <laughs> and it was the first laundrette <laughs> in West London or certainly within her walking distance with a pushchair and I just watched the washing go <laughs> I remember that really clearly. And the other pushchair memory is being pushed all the way from where we lived off past Green Lane um, to Fulham Palace Road to get some something called a ration book or ration. I don't, you know, I was tiny, but mm. I remember that the, this book with the stamps in it was really important. And then, of course, I remember the dreariness of the 50s about being told to eat all your food, not waste every... I mean, now people whinge on about austerity. We had it big time, us poor baby boomers, because it's all your parents rammed down your throat was, you know, how lucky you were to be alive. You got through the war. Everything had to be recycled. You, had, you know, we even got marmalade in huge tins because it was cheaper. I mean, how much marmalade can one family eat? <laughs> but we, my mum and dad... Um, we're big on saving money. And, you know, we were working-class family. Has that stuck with you, the, the saving thing? Are you still quite frugal? Do you not like throwing things away? Do you still well, I don't want to sound like Marie Antoinette because, obviously, I earn quite a decent living now, but I am pretty frugal. Yeah. And um, my partner always says that I can make a loaf of bread last longer than anyone. <laughs> I'll eat it even when it's rock-hard. What do you do with it when it's rock-hard? Do you just, just toast it or...? Put it in the oven, back of, yeah, put a bit of water on it, put it back there's a lot of twittering in the audience. So people go, yeah, well, it's obvious. Yeah, it's agreeing, it. aren't they? There was a really interesting age divide there. Younger people in the audience going, yeah, what do you do with bread after? You cut. It's three days old, I have no idea. You cut the mould off and you carry on. I'm s <laughs> Hang on. Hang on I mean, second. I'm sorry, you, I'm you... so healthy. I just eat cut mould off food and eat it, yeah. So you will, you will eat live antibiotics off old breads? Wow. Yeah. Okay. All no right. problem whatsoever. And I also live... Um, I don't buy fast food and I've never eaten anything like um, uh, that brown drink with the Coca-Cola or whatever, you, if you're allowed to say that. I've never <laughs> drunk that absolute yeah. cack. I've never eaten... So you're not after an advertising KFC. deal today then? Okay, no, I've right. never eaten any of that fast food. No. And I think that's because of the background I had where all our food was made from scratch and that's what I do. You and still do that now, yeah? Yeah, I take my lunch into the loose women's studios in a box and I won't eat it in the room with the other people because I don't want to look at the crap they're eating. <laughs> I feel completely superior about my diet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I feel completely superior about everything. <laughs> they say I'm like that anyway, but <laughs> I couldn't comment. Um, Janet, tell us a bit about your mum and dad. Uh, you said working class background in Fulham. What yeah. did they do? Um, my father was an electrician and uh, my mother was a school dinner lady, which is a bit of a nightmare because it meant that I had to have school dinners in the school holidays along with the poor children because, you know, back in those days they served the school meals right through the year. Um, 
and we lived in half a terraced house off um, Parsons Green Lane uh, that had been given to my father by someone in his family. I didn't realise it, but my parents weren't married, and um, my parents didn't really get on, to be honest. Um, it, they were the classic case. They'd met during the war, and my, father had, uh, my mother was married to someone else who uh, would not divorce her. Anyway, my, my father came back from the war, and they moved in together, and then in 1948, I came along, and then two years later, my sister did. But by that time, it seems to me, looking back on it, that they weren't that well suited. My mother um, was Welsh, she was highly emotional, she was an intelligent woman. Um, I think my father, I don't know, or I've never understood that much about my father. He was very ambitious, he went to night school and became an electrical engineer. And my mother um, decided to lie about her qualifications, which I kind of agree with, really. Oh, yeah, too always, good. Lie. always Well, lie. she was too good to be either a dinner lady or she worked for a long time in a shop. And eventually she pretended she'd passed exams so she could get a job as a civil servant and work in the tax office as a clerical assistant. So someone working in the tax office got the job because they lied. <laughs> Yeah, my mother did. Amazing. I love yeah, that. Yeah, she just told a few fibs about what age she left school because she actually left at 14. Wow, okay. I think she said she passed her matriculation or whatever it was called in those days. Anyway, um, my first memories of childhood are that my mother missed Wales very, very much and got um, her sister down from Wales to live with us when my sister was born. And so they spoke Welsh all day long. Did you speak Welsh as a kid? No. Oh. The budgie spoke Welsh. <laughs> so we had a budgerigar, and um, my dad, my sister, and I spoke English. My mum and my auntie Vi spoke, and the budgie talked to each other in Welsh. <laughs> so you might, you know, that might be one of the reasons why I'm quite so peculiar. I mean, there's quite a lot about my childhood is pretty eccentric. Yeah, that is fascinating. So did you have any other pets apart from the budgie, apart from the Welsh budgie? I had a terrapin called Terry <laughs> that uh, I kept under an enamel bowl in the back, uh, back garden in Fulham, but it disappeared. And I discovered years later that my, um, the people that lived on the back, their son, who has subsequently served several long jail sentences for violent crimes, I think he took Terry. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say the son's name because he actually he get I can't cope with him. He's quite a threatening character. Yeah, but you know you get those cold case TV shows when they go back. <laughs> you could do that with the terrapin. Get I'll Trevor give, Eve to help you. Go back and find out what happened to the terrapin. I'll give you another example about how mad my childhood was. Uh, when I was about eight, I got amoebic dysentery, and so did my sister. Now we don't never knew how we got it. Or that was never but we were seriously ill and the ambulance had to come to take us to isolation hospital. But my mother would not let that ambulance draw up in our street outside our house because she thought that the neighbours would think she was a bad mother. So the ambulance wow. drew up in Harbledown Road, which was the next road over, and my sister and I were wrapped in blankets and passed over the garden wall. That is so astonishing. So we disappeared from 18 Elmstone Road for four weeks. Nobody asked. <laughs> <laughs> we could have been buried in the back garden. With the terrapin, probably. Yeah. That is astonishing. And that actually chimes with something with a generation now who maybe feel shame and embarrassed about being ill, about an ambulance pulling up outside that house. Do you think that's still the case? 
oh, I don't know, but my mother did that. She topped top that occasion when I ran out in the road one day when we used to play in the street all, all the time. Obviously, there wasn't the traffic there is now. Yeah. And a motorbike hit me under the chin and my big teeth stuck in my bottom lip. But in, she wouldn't call the ambulance. She put a tea towel over my head and took me to hospital on the bus. <laughs> and I mean... You know, it's not a little bit odd. Yeah, shame at illness. Well, when I did a one-woman show a few years ago in Edinburgh and I told some of these stories, um, some of the Welsh people in the audience said I was being unfair about how eccentric the Welsh were. <laughs> 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 it's like I was demonising an entire nation by saying my Welsh mother was mad. Um, and uh, a lot of people just couldn't believe them, but that's part of my story. Were you well-behaved as a kid? No. I was very... I used to look at my parents and think they picked up the wrong baby. I thought they were stupid. They wore horrible clothes. But I think a lot of children do this. Mm. I used to look at them and I used to think, I'm sure my parents read The Guardian. It was my mum and dad used to read The Daily Mirror and then on Sundays we had the co-op newspaper. Um, yeah, I was hoping and hoping that middle-class parents would come and collect me. They picked up the wrong baby. It would never happen. <laughs> but by, honestly, by the age of 13, I was a fully-formed snob. I was working in the library and wow. after wow. school, yeah. You were like Lisa Simpson or Matilda, weren't you? Just... I was a self-improver, yeah. really reading a lot. Um, yeah. What did your family make of your career? Well... They were disgusted at first, but because I studied architecture to start off with. Um, they I can't went, have been disgusted with architecture. No, well, they weren't. They originally, I went to Lady Margaret Grammar School, which grammar school in those days in Fulham, and then there was talk, well, would I go to Oxford or Cambridge because I was good at English, I was good at history, and I was good at art. Um, but in the end, I had a boyfriend who'd been studying architecture, and... I don't know, I got really intrigued and I started taking loads of photographs and putting together kind of scrapbooks or whatever they'd call it now, mood books. And I applied to study architecture and I had to sit an entrance exam. So it was very prestigious. I was the first person from my uh, family to go to university and mm. the fir well, first person in my family to have to go on to further education, full stop. And then... Also, when I got to university, there were five girls to every hundred boys. So it was. Which university did you go to? I went to the Architectural Association in Bedford Square, just round the right. corner from here. So, you know, my connections to London are very, very <coughs> strong because I grew up in West London, you know, inner London. I went to school in inner London. I went to university. And then after two years, I um, decided to take a year out because I wanted to go to America to go to Columbia University. So I took a year out and I thought, while I'm waiting for grants, applying for grants and stuff, I um, did some writing. I sent off pieces to magazines and newspapers and pretty quickly I got offered a job on a teenage magazine. And so I was like 20 or 21 years old and mm. I got this job on Petticoat magazine. It was a dream job. I had... Uh, two or three pages a week, I could write <laughs> whatever I like about, uh, art, you know, design and interiors and so on. And then I was involved in the fashion. And then after about nine months, um, the Daily Mail headhunted me and offered me a job. And that was that. What year was that when that happened? 
Right. So right. I was 21 or 22 and I had a job on the Daily Mail. So when people ask about my career, I, did you go through a load of training? No, I was very... I don't want to use the word lucky because I did work really, really hard. And in a way, I've been educating myself, going to every... I kept diaries of all the books, lists of all the books I read, all the movies I went to, the exhibitions I went to. I was just aiming to succeed. And do you still feel that now? Uh, well, do, do I have the amount of input I have had then? I do read a, I read a lot of newspapers. I do um, get involved with the news a lot. I've ed obviously, I've edited a national newspaper. Um, I've worked across, right across the media, so I've done radio, television, you know, everything like that. I've even done a one-woman show in Edinburgh back in 2004. So I feel really comfortable in the world of the media. Hmm. Um, do you still feel hungry to do stuff? I think as you get older, the challenge is to do stuff you haven't done before. And I'm not a very nostalgic person. I mean, I can tell those stories about my childhood, but it's like I'm talking about another person, a kind of... It, to me, it's like a fairy story. It happened, but it happened back then. I don't connect it to how I am now. I mean, I think having parents that didn't get on very well made me more resilient, made me more self-contained. Um, and I am a very calculating person, and I am not particularly on some levels, a pleasant person, because I would, to get on, you've got to be really tough. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, I've been watching that TV series, Press, which Ben Chaplin playing the horrible editor, and I go, yeah. that's me. <laughs> 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 because you don't become the boss by being Mrs. Nice. Yeah, I love your pride at that as well. Yeah, it's the only way to do it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When I was a newspaper editor, I had um, 
the problem of morning conference where all these people troop in and come out with the most fucking lacklustre ideas you've ever heard of. So what I did was simply get rid of the chairs and get new, very uncomfortable chairs. Oh, my God. Nobody could sit in a chair for longer than 10, 12 minutes at the most. You're devious. Yeah, well, I had to get them in and out. <laughs> Otherwise, it would have taken all day. So, obviously, we're here today to talk about loneliness. Um, you've written about loneliness yourself. Um, if it's not too personal a question, have you felt, have you had periods of loneliness in your life? Oh, yeah, very much so, because I think people always talk about the fact I've been married four times, I've been in endless relationships. But you might look at that another way and say, well, perhaps you're in all these relationships because you couldn't bear to be by yourself. Because there's two... Uh, ways of looking at life. You have to learn to like being by yourself, but then you have to not let that run out of control. Like quite a few of my friends are, are not living with anybody or not in relationships, and they really like their own company. And I always say, well, you have to be quite tactful about it. You have to say, you've got to be careful. You don't get too obsessed with how perfect everything is in your world, how you're controlling everything. You're in charge of it all. But isn't it a bit lonely at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. don't, you, don't you need that social interaction? And certainly, I've, uh, until I was 50, I never really lived by myself at all. So the idea of loneliness, ha, ha, ha. I don't think I was by, by so myself. until you were 50, you didn't live by yourself? No. So, so one you get... man went out the door, another one was lying down. because they didn't have... <laughs> you know why that is? Because they didn't have comfy chairs. That's why they were coming in and the whole time. But Possibly you, so. You get, you tell me about that moment when you've hit 50 and you are by yourself. And it, I don't, I well, don't I think I finally married someone who is so, so appallingly wrong. And I inflicted him on all my friends and I've airbrushed him uh, out of my who's who entry. <laughs> I'm so going into your Wikipedia after this. Go no, I don't think you'll find some of it's been <laughs> um, manipulated, not just by me. Um, uh, the thing is that I got to 50 and I suddenly it was a wake-up call that I, I was in a relationship with someone who was patently, it was a joke. Mm. And so after that, I finally woke up one day and I thought, I'm going to live by myself. It was absolutely fantastic. And then inevitably, oh, I had a couple of relationships with guys that lasted about five years each. I'm quite a, a long-term person. Um, the only reason I'm going to say I've had four marriages and all these long-term relationships is because I'm now 71 nearly. <laughs> 72 and it's been kind of seamless but then over the last um 10 years i would say there have been times when i've thought i've got to be careful that i'm not spending too much time by myself because mm. and it kind of creeps up on you and the other thing that people in my position forget is that you've got to interact with people who aren't in your world and that's really, really important. And it's not just saying hello to someone on the bus. You've actually got to have more, than a, a more of a conversation. So that's the thing, isn't it? What are the practical things we can do? What, what, what tricks? It's very like, difficult for me to give advice. And I don't like giving advice because I always think, oh, God, I grew up with all these women handing out advice and I just railed against it. But from my own point of view... I think it's difficult because people come up and they recognise me. I'm very recognisable and I've got to get past that and I've got to just have a normal conversation with them. But I've found 
the more I talk to people, the more rewarding their stories are. And also, as a writer, I'm very aware of the fact that I need material, I need input, and I'm not going to get it by being Miss Snoot on the underground looking the other way, am I? I've got to have to engage with people. Mm. And it can't only be people that are in my very, you know, rarefied world. So you force yourself out of your echo chamber, if you like, and get out there. Yeah, you definitely have to do that. And um, also you have to engage with people who are not in your generation. Because I think there's several things about ageing that I've always, uh, you know, that I've never felt comfortable with. That's when people say there was a better time in the past and they think there was some rose-tinted part of their life going back a few decades when um, things were better. And I feel like I say, no, now's the best it's ever going to be. And if you get up every day and you say to yourself, now I sound like fucking Gwyneth Paltrow. But, um, <laughs> Trust me. If I'm one not going to use the like. word mindfulness, but I do believe that you've got to get up in the morning and think, right, let's give it a go. Yeah. Let's give it a go. Let's not think last week was better or next week might be even better. Let's think today. Let's go with what we've got. Mm. And... Um, You've got my default position was always, ugh, I'm going to work, just as it used to be when I had to go to school and I had to go a long way on the underground after my parents moved. I'd arrive at school and think, ugh. <laughs> and I can just recall that feeling so strongly mm. where it'd be a grey day and you'd have Latin followed by... Ugh. Geography. Yeah, ugh. ugh. Followed by human biology, and they put up that drawing of women's urinogenital system <laughs> one more time. Anyway, now I wake up and I look out and I spend at least two minutes looking out the shutters of my house onto the square or looking at the garden, and I just think, that's great, right? I've got, I'm out of bed, I'm still breezing. <laughs> <laughs> and I stopped writing a shit list before I went to bed as well. What's I, a shit list? People that annoyed me during the day. I used, to, <laughs> I used to commit them to paper. As a top, can I just tell everyone in the room, when someone really upsets you like today, if anyone's really hacked you off, write their names on a bit of paper and stab it like that. If you wake up in the morning and you just think, what was that all about? <laughs> That's a great idea. I've got past that now. Oh, I'm going to start doing that. You've just handed that on. <laughs> no, uh, but I do. I'm being honest. I have had times when I've felt um, lonely and then I've called friends and mm. sometimes, you know, it's hard to see people to get them to fit in with you and to see you on the day when you want to see them because you're feeling lonely right now and you think, oh, they've got to see me. They've got to meet me face to face. That is one of the biggest problems for... Uh, that people face now is that they communicate too much on social media, yeah. on the phone, on the emails, yeah. and I just will not talk to people in chitty chatting on the text. Text, mm. I hate. Do you know I downgraded my iPhone to a horrible Nokia to stop me texting? Has it this, yeah, because it's so hard to text <laughs> on the Nokia that it's only. You've, it's cured me of it. I found that really interesting and really resonant because you've spent your life broadcasting in yes. one form or another and social media has turned us all into broadcasters. And what you're saying is loneliness will, will lie at the end of that often. Yeah, what we think about the modern form of broadcasting, which is babbling twaddle on social media, is that you are babbling, babbling twaddle. You're not babbling anything that's necessarily got any merit. And 
real conversations have pauses and moments of reflection just like this one you know I don't know what you're going to ask me and I might go around in circles and waffle a bit but we'll get there in the end and you're listening to me and then I'm listening to you ask a question so there's a kind of um, rhythm to it a natural rhythm and I find that texting and tweeting particularly is aggressive and you see the people doing it you see why are you doing it so quickly mm. what's it all about what are those fingers doing all that for it's very very bizarre to me it's not conducive to human happiness i honestly don't think it, I don't think it is at all yeah but i'm not you know so i know that, that a lot of older people really like skyping is great and, and yeah. Uh, that kind of thing for staying in touch and if I want to talk to my friends in Australia I'll Skype them often I'll leave the picture off because I look like shit <laughs> at the time of day we are of, my auntie used to Skype my relatives in Canada and then she'd ring me up and tell me they've got new kitchen cabinets or something because they're walking around the house holding the computer but that is a connection then isn't it when you're yeah, doing it's that? fabulous yeah of course yeah. it is of course it is um, listen final question Janet Street Porter you have led an extraordinary life um, what I know you hate, I know you don't want to answer this question because I've already asked you outside and you said you don't want to answer it, but I'm still going to ask you. Um, what lessons have you learned? What would you tell the 20 year old Janet Street Porter if you could sit her down with a cup of tea and talk to her now? What would you say? What I'd say is go outside your front door and think that today I've got to talk to at least three people I don't know and keep doing that because I. I made someone laugh the other day. I said I've had to relearn having a conversation with people I don't know. My friend said, have you lost your marbles? I said, honestly, I was get, I'd realised that in a week I hadn't talked to anyone I didn't know already. Mm -hmm. So I have a challenge with Uber drivers. Can I get them to talk to me before <laughs> <laughs> we get? I've got a mile. So I want yeah. to know where they went, where, where they got, went. No, most of them have been to university. I want to know what they're studying, what their job aspirations. I've just got this image of you getting an Uber sitting in the front. I, do, I always sit in the front. Do you? I always That's sit the in the front. Yeah. In all God. things like that. That's why I don't like black cabs anymore. I want to sit in the front and I want to talk. Yeah. And if you don't want to talk, well, tough, because I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> Uh, listen, Janice Reporter, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. That was brilliant. Thank, Thank you. you. And that was Tom Price and Janet Street Porter. A huge thanks to the Campaign to Own Loneliness for inviting us along and also Janet Street Porter for sharing some brilliant stories from her life. See you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? 
Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 